the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's an honor. Today is Wednesday, January the 8th, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today on January 8, 1815, the last major engagement of the War of 1812 came to an end. U.S. forces defeated the British in the Battle of New Orleans. They didn't know that there had already been a peace treaty signed. It just, the word hadn't gotten to them yet. As I read that this morning in preparation for this program, I thought how many battles we fight in our own personal lives forgetting that peace was accomplished on a cross 2,000 years ago. There are many battles that we fight in our own personal lives that need not be fought. The battles are won in Christ. Today in 1918, President Woodrow Wilson outlined the 14 points for lasting peace after World War I. There were people who listened to that who supported Woodrow Wilson, who said they went to sleep on point nine. They agreed with him. They just said his presentation was boring. 14 points, that's a lot of points. You would not have that many points in a sermon because... I'm thinking some Christians would go to sleep in the pew as well. Today in 1918, Mississippi became the first state to ratify the 18th Amendment to the Constitution. That was prohibition, as you probably know. Today in 1935, Elvis Presley was born in Tupelo, Mississippi. His mother was very religious. They went to church in Tupelo. Later in Memphis, they went to church. In fact, I knew the pastor quite well of their church, where little Elvis grew up running around, I am told. You should have listened more carefully, perhaps, but anyway. Today, in 1964, President Lyndon B. Johnson, in his State of the Union address, declared an unconditional war on poverty in America. That's a good thought, but his war on poverty brought about the Great Society, which spent trillions of dollars... And at the end of it all, there was more poverty than when he had declared the war. Today, in 1982, American Tele- Telephone and Telegraph, AT&T, settled the Justice Department's antitrust lawsuit against it by agreeing to divest itself of 22 Bell System companies. Remember, they called them for a while Little Bell and Big Bell. AT&T was Big Bell and... All these others that they divested themselves of was were little bills. Today, in 1987, for the first time, the Dow Jones Industrial Average closed about 2,000, above 2,000, actually, ending the day at 2,002.25. Well, we've come a long way from then. I was going to look up what the Dow Jones was reading this morning, But I've been watching President Trump, and I'll come back to that in a moment. He gave a live speech just about 15, it ended about 15 minutes ago. 
I'll, <clears throat> I'll have a few comments on that in just a moment. But today in 2011, U.S. Representative Gabrielle Giffords, Democrat from Arizona, she was shot and critically wounded when a gunman opened fire. She was holding a, a meeting with some constituents in Tucson. Six people were killed. Twelve others were injured. It was horrible. It was horrible. That's the spirit that we find in our world today. The difficulties and the contests that we see in our world today are played out as political, but they're not really political. I don't think anyone feels so deeply about political feelings that they would do some of the atrocities that we see people carrying out today. But it is a contest between good and evil. It is a contest between that which is of the light of God's word and that which is of darkness. Satan is the prince of darkness. And that's the contest that we see being played out in our world every day. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12 and 13, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you, if ye be followers of that which is good? <laughs> you cannot be harmed. The Lord is very clear about the contest that's happening in the human race. It's simply between good and evil, light and dark. A few minutes ago, President Trump gave a live speech. As I said, I was watching it. He walked to the microphone. If you saw that, you, you saw this. He walked to the microphone, and the first thing he said, he said, as long as I am president, he said it very respectfully but very forcefully, all of the... Uh, our military leaders, the Secretary of State, Vice President Pence, all of them were standing there. It was, in fact, some of the reporters were saying just a few moments ago, I mean, I, I was watching it until about 10 minutes ago and we, uh, as he finished, and I got back to my microphone here so that I could um, be prepared to say good morning to you. But he, I noticed that they had all of the, Mike Pence and all of these guys, Pompeo and Secretary of State and all of the leaders of the various of uh, military divisions of our U.S. military were all standing around him. And some of the guys that were there at that meeting were saying um, that they had never seen that kind of a situation where a president walked out. They usually walk out alone. But all of these, and they were interpreting that to mean that there was great solidarity. That was the message by these guys standing. They didn't say anything. At least I didn't see them talking. But they were standing there all around President Trump. And it showed in the minds of some of the reporters that were there, some of the honest reporters, it showed a an incredible um, picture of solidarity and um, support for the president in what he's doing. And I think that made a statement not only to Iran, but to the world. And I think that was a good thing. It certainly made a statement to me. It got my attention. I thought, whoa, I've never seen this before. So, in that context, if you saw it, you know, but if you didn't, you'll hear all kinds of aberrations of this today. The media, as we speak, is probably coming up with some reason why he created World War III today, which is exact opposite of what he said and what he did. 
But the first thing he said when he walked out, he said, as long as I am president of the United States, Iran will never have a nuclear weapon. And paused. I think everybody on the planet got that. And they can fill in the blanks. It's real simple. Iran will not have a nuclear weapon as long as Donald Trump is president. He went on uh, to say that none of, no one was injured in their uh, attacks overnight. Uh, they sent missiles into a couple of um, bases in Iraq where we have people. There's also people there from Germany and Denmark and Norway and Poland and, uh, and Great Britain. Nobody was hurt from the U.S. or anyone else. In fact, Germany, Denmark, Norway, and Poland have already weighed into the world press, and they said, no, we didn't have anybody that was hurt. We didn't have any losses there or anything. Um, And they're all standing with Trump as well. But President Trump went on to say, I'm pleased to inform you the American people should be extremely grateful and happy. No Americans were harmed by the attack by the Iranian regime. The commander-in-chief said that... um, that the um, he said he he vowed to keep watch on Iran, and he said as I as I mentioned a moment ago that they will not have a nuclear weapon. He said that he went through some of the things that they have done, some of the most recent provocations toward America and the free world for that matter, and um, he said that uh, he's offering them. He said I do not want war. And the press will run with that today, and they will say, yeah, but he didn't really mean that or whatever. I mean, who knows how they'll couch it, but that's what, they'll, that's what you'll hear on the news today. The uninformed person who didn't see this, who doesn't follow things and is not informed as to what's going on in our world, they will hear little bits and pieces on the, on the mainstream press this afternoon or this evening, and you will probably get the impression from what they're saying. I mean, I, I don't know, but I, they have a pattern. They always do the same thing. They don't, they, they, they don't really tell the truth. They don't lie because they'll get called out on it. Well, sometimes they lie, but most of the times they just omit certain things. And it's, it's, they give you a false narrative or a false uh, impression by omission. They just don't tell you the rest of the story. And so that's probably what's going to happen this afternoon and this evening. They will cast Iraq as a victim. They've already cast a Soleimani guy who was, who was evil to the core. I mean, he's killed people in Iraq that just the regular people, millions of them hate him. They hate what their government is doing. They're not happy. But the press doesn't cover that here. So you'll hear that Iraq is the victim, that America is twisting their arm and bringing them to their knees or whatever. Some form of that is what you'll hear today. The uninformed person will say, wow, that, that, you know, boy, we're kind of a bully, aren't we? So that's what's going to be happening throughout the day. But the truth of the matter is, America called their bluff, took out their number one terrorist leader by all accounts. All people that are much smarter than I am are saying, militarily, are saying that there is no way they can replace this guy anytime soon because he had his finger on every aspect of terrorism that was happening in the region. And so I believe they're right. I mean, they have spent their life in military and in studying these kinds of things. They're very, very informed, far more informed than news people are, for sure. And they're just simply saying that this guy is not going to be replaced overnight. I mean, he may be, but 
it won't be with someone who has the authority or the power to make things happen that this Soleimani had, and that's why he was taken out. And he should have been taken out. But another point that President Trump made in his speech was the fact that he said it was the previous generation that, gave, I mean, administration, uh, Obama, he didn't name him, but I mean, everybody in the world listening knew who he was talking about. He said, gave them billions of dollars, including $1.5 billion on pallets that were shipped in there in the middle of the night. I've talked about that on this program. I still can hardly believe that they did that, but they did. They, I mean, they shipped in cash to the airport and handed it over to the regime in Iran. And the, and the president, Trump, said this morning, he, I mean, you can, re, I don't have the, the text of what he said. I'll have it later today. And, and, but it, the essence of it was that he said there's probably that money that funded these missiles that they fired at us last night that didn't hurt or kill anyone. But a lot of people, and it probably is, and he went on to say that clearly did not work. Ben Shapiro, who is a pretty intellectual guy, he wrote an article this morning that I glanced at quickly. He said Trump's Iran policy isn't the problem because that's what some of the people on the left, especially CNN and NBC, have been harping on that since uh, Soleimani was taken out. They said Trump has no policy and on and on and on, uh, you know, despairing the president because they, they don't like him. I mean, they actually hate him. Many of them do. But Shapiro says it isn't his policy. It's Barack Obama's policy that we're dealing with now. And that's true. It's very true. And he goes into this very detailed um, account of why Obama's policy to them, it was appeasement. And I mentioned this the other day on this program. Every time I've studied history fairly diligently, and every time appeasement has been used from Hitler to present, um, it never works. It always backfires. Because the more you give, the more they expect and the more they react when they don't get what you've been giving to them. I mean, it's I'm a simple man, but that's the way I see it. So Obama thought he could just love Iran to death. And that isn't the way it works in the world. In fact, in the Middle East and in Asia, and I've spent a great deal of time in my own life. My wife knows she was raising our kids when I was walking around in the jungles of the world starting churches. I wasn't gone all the time, but I was gone a lot. And I credit her and thank her. Our kids turned out great. Maybe maybe if I'd have been home more, they wouldn't be so I don't but it, No, I'm kidding. But I've been with the, in the world, not as a tourist, where you pull up on a cruise ship and you go, oh, wow, this is really beautiful. When the island that you're on, except for the place that's fenced off where the people get off the boat and play, is corrupt. It's rotten. It's like a sewer. And many of the cultures around the world are just that. I've been there. I've lived with the people and with the stayed in pastors' homes and whatever. And I will tell you that particularly in the Middle East and in Asia, saving face is a big deal. I mean, none of us want to be embarrassed in front of our, our friends or our cohorts or whatever. But it is incredibly sensitive in the Middle East and in Asia. Saving face is a big deal. I think that's what Iran was doing. They knew they had to do something so they could go tell their people what that oh we we boy we 
responded to the United States. They're not going to push us around and blah, blah, blah. So I think that's what this was all about personally. And that's I'm getting that from what the president said. I'm getting that from others who, like I said, are much wiser than I am, much more informed than I am on these kinds of things. I mean, they're on the inside. I'm not. I'm looking over the fence. But I am paying attention. And I do know the people of the world because I've been with them. Not as a tourist, but as a as a minister, as a preacher of the gospel. So that's what I think is happening here. Uh, President Trump offered them a off ramp, as the media likes to say, and that's a good that's a good uh, uh, picture of what it is. They get off their high horse and pull off to the side of the road and and talk instead of escalate a war. I don't think they want a war. I don't think they. they I think they know. They cannot even compete. In fact, one uh, expert I saw last night, I can't remember who it was, but it was someone on, he was obviously a conservative, he he was a lifelong military guy who seemed very informed, and he said Iran knows that America and Israel, particularly the United States, but Israel as well, could make a parking lot out out of Iran in eight minutes, if it came to that, there would be no pro- protracted war if if America was threatened to that degree. But President Trump made it very clear this morning that he wants to sit down and talk and make a deal. But he's told Iran, you will not, I think that's the, the main takeaway, you will not have a nuclear weapon while I'm president. So I suppose there are people in Iran today that are beginning to work, although they probably already were, to see how they can help the Democrats to defeat this president because they would not want him to be reelected. It's interesting how the Democrats, the far left, the progressive, so-called, and the Iranian regime have so much in common. Maybe we'll talk about that one of these days. There's a news article in Jerusalem this morning where an official with Iran is saying that they are not seeking escalation. They do not want war. America wants war. We do not want a war. We want to live in peace. So anyway, that's, that's what they're saying in Jerusalem today. Peace, peace. The Methodists are no longer united. I want to talk to you about that just for a few minutes this morning. The Methodist Church is a significant church. John Wesley made a tremendous impact with his ministry. Charles Wesley wrote all those, his brother wrote all those hymns that I wish we still sang more in our churches, but they made a great impact on our country and on the world. With the gospel, the Methodist Church, of course, was born out of Wesley's ministry, and it's been going through some some real issues in the last few years, I have followed them. I'm not a Methodist, but I have a great deal of respect for the Methodist Church, what it was and what it has been, not necessarily what it has become. But I've been watching this very carefully, and I think a lot of people are in in the Christendom, in the Christian community. And they come up with this plan to separate. They're going to split the denomination. I'm not one who likes to see splits or division. Not at all. But I think they're doing the right thing. I'm glad they're doing 
and I, I want to tell you why. And you'll, you'll be seeing this. They'll probably do this formally in May. They'll vote on it. But let me talk to you just for a moment about it because the Methodist Church does have a lot of influence. They have about 80 million members worldwide. There's about 13 million members in the U.S. But they've agreed to be united no more. And as I said, I think it's for good reason. So let me talk to you just for a couple of minutes about that. I also want to say thank you to those of you who support this ministry. It is a ministry. I'm doing this because I believe the Lord led me to do it several years ago. Thankful to ACN and Tom Reed. He kind of talked me into it, but the Lord was speaking to my heart while he was talking to my ears. And um, didn't plan to do this. Been in the media a lot. If you're a new listener, I've been in the media a lot. As a pastor, we had a daily television program on CBS affiliate for 12 years. Been on the radio for a number of years. Had a great life, fulfilled life. But when God speaks to your heart, you just feel nudged and you need to do it. I've always told people that all my life and I've tried to follow that. And so we're following that in this program. And I know many of you understand that. I'm not trying to create a career. (laughs) Believe me, I'm over 40. Over 42, actually. (laughs) So thank you for your support. We'll keep watching what's going on and keep reporting to you what we think and what the Bible says. And that's the most important thing that we do. So thank you for your support. We need it. Not everyone agrees with what we're doing. There is resistance. So thank you for your prayers as well. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Last month, the Methodist leaders came up with a plan to split the denomination. It's called Protocol of Reconciliation and Grace Through Separation. That's the name of the, the deal. I wrote an article on this today because I knew I'd be talking about what happened in current events overnight. I wanted... Our readers, we have readers all across the country and in about 40 countries, uh, different countries now, that read our daily blog or our article that we publish every morning at 5 a.m. And um, I wanted to talk about the Methodist Church, but I knew I'd be talking about what happened overnight on the radio program this morning on on the live portion of this. And under this agreement, biblical Methodist churches will form a new denomination. They'll be able, they'll be allowed to keep their properties. They'll get a $25 million payout. The liberal churches will keep the name United Methodist. You can read the entire agreement in my article that I wrote today, faithandfreedom.us. In fact, you can get that every day. There's no obligation. It's free. The subscription is free. We do not share your name with anyone under any or your email or anything. We don't do that. So be assured, if, if you... If you subscribe to get it, sign up. There's a little sign-up place there. If you want to get it every morning, our article, you will not be getting other stuff, including fundraisers from us. We just don't do it. So I would encourage you to sign up and get it every day. Dr. Ray Rooney's with the American Family Association. He's himself an ordained Methodist pastor. He says the split was inevitable and unavoidable. He said there never was a desire for a church split, But with the leadership of the United Methodist Church dead set, he said, against the traditional view of marriage, it's inevitable. And that is what is at the core of this. Rudy says you can't coexist with people theologically 
who would look at Scripture totally differently. He said, that affects how you live, and that's exactly right. He says, you you won the battle, but the war was not over because the leadership of the Methodist Church is trying its best to guide and shape United Methodism to accept homosexual clergy and homosexual marriage. There's an example of that that everybody knows about, Hillary Clinton. She loves to tell people about her good, and she calls it old-fashioned Methodist upbringing. Well, that's true. She did grow up when the Methodists were good and old-fashioned. They were scriptural. But that has all changed. She has changed. She doesn't believe what they taught her in Sunday school when she went because she's she gets awards for being an advocate for abortion from Planned Parenthood. And she certainly supports same-sex marriage. That isn't what Wesley taught and isn't what the Methodist Church taught, and it's certainly not what Scripture teaches. But she likes to tout that because she thinks it helps her among religious people, and perhaps it does. But she talks about her good old-fashioned Methodist upbringing often because it's a part of her life. But she's departed from the faith that she was taught as a child. I have a 14-volume set of books in my personal library that contains John Wesley's sermons. 14 books and Charles Wesley's hymns. There's none of that in those, I can tell you. None of it contains what the Methodist leadership is trying to put on the church today. As a lifelong ordained minister myself, I've consistently counseled biblical Christians not to stay in churches that have departed from the faith. Maybe they preached the gospel at one time. Now they've gone to this love wins kind of a thing. Get out of it. Don't go there. I know there's relationships. I understand that. Families have grown up. Families have gotten married. Marjorie and I grew up together in the same church. But leave the church regardless of the personal cost socially because you can't sit under that kind of teaching without it affecting your mind and your heart. The New Testament is very clear about separating yourself from false teaching and false doctrine. In the article that I wrote today, and I'm summarizing because of the shortness of time, because I felt I we needed to talk about what the president said just 15, 20 minutes ago. But there was a recent conference where people were came to the conference who had been homosexuals. They had gotten saved, and they were restored, transformed, delivered. And they gave marvelous testimonies. I just, I wrote the testimonies in a couple of them in this article that I'm talking about that I published this morning. I'd really like for you to read it because it's inspiring. There's no science behind this idea that they were born that way. God loves homosexuals. God loves all sinners, all sinners. Jesus Christ died on the cross for all sin. Gary Randall is a sinner saved by grace. It isn't that that's the only sin, but that particular sinful behavior is driving the culture today, redefining the most important institutions in society, marriage between a man and a woman, and so on, and you know that. So that's why it is so prominent, and that's why it needs to be discussed and mentioned regularly in our culture, because they are driving the culture. They're indoctrinating kids in kindergarten, they're changing church denominations. They're splitting church denominations because they say God made us that way, and we're going to worship God, and we're going to have, we're going to be ministers and clergy, and so on. There's no place for that in the gospel, in the church of Jesus Christ, the biblical church. 
There is a place for them in the kingdom of God, but they need to come and ask forgiveness and receive restoration by the power of God. Not reshape the church. They need to be reshaped by the power of the gospel. Well, I've run out of time today. We'll continue tomorrow.